Uh, hi, everybody. This is Paul from uh, East Screen, West Screen podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about, for our West Screen film, Batman uh, this week. And I know that really the big news about Batman is the incident that happened in Aurora in Colorado. And I just want to say here at the start of the show that uh, we're not really going to talk about the incident. Uh, there's been a lot of media coverage already. Uh, it's been a pretty big media circus. There's a lot of different talking heads saying a lot of different things. And I just felt that in the spirit of our show, we want to try and keep things positive and, and, and keep things light and and some somewhat humorous. And I didn't really want to get too much into such a heavy topic. We're certainly not experts here on, on that. We are following the same uh, news blogs uh, that are out there and newscasts that the rest of you probably are who are following that story. It's a terrible story. Uh, it's garbage. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about it here at the top of the show. Um, if you'd you know, like to talk about it over uh, uh, at the, the website, uh, of course, in comments or anything like that, that's fine. And we'll welcome emails uh, to that effect. But in the show proper, um, I just want to make note that uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to all the families um, that were involved in that incident. Uh, and of course, um, uh, you know, it's just a terrible, terrible tragedy. And we're just not going to really touch on it in the course of the show. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Tuesday, July 24th, 2012. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox. And joining me for this episode is my good friend and co-host, Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. Uh, hi, Paul. How are you? All right. I'm doing well. And we're very fortunate to have with us today... Um, <clears throat> Mr. Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com. Hi, Ross. How are you doing? Hey, Paul, Kevin. How you guys doing? So uh, we just had a pretty big uh, typhoon blow through last night and uh, very fortunate to be up and running. We didn't lose power. How did you guys weather the storm, as it were? Ross? Uh, I slept. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Were, were, you, were you able to sleep well? I mean, are you on a... Are you in a uh, you're, you're pretty high up. I mean, did you... Did, 17th floor. Yeah, did you get a lot of noise from the winds and stuff? I could not tell you. I was fast asleep. Fast asleep, dead to the world. How about you, Kevin? Oh, I actually, the thing is, it, it, when the storm came at night, I, I kind of forgot that there would be work in the morning because these, this kind of storm, you know, usually rolled through pretty quickly. And I kind of stayed until like 1 or 2 a.m. watching TV. So I watched a, I watched two movies and I watched an episode of Newsroom and I realized it's two a.m. and um, one I should take my window and uh, I should go to sleep. So yeah, I kind of I kind of didn't get in. so thankfully the storm left a little later and I got a little more sleep. But yeah, it was it was kind of a chaotic night because of all the wind. Yeah, and this is a little bit of a a record for Hong Kong. I mean, um, 
we base basically in in Hong Kong, you have different categories uh, of these typhoons or hurricanes, as they'd be known in Florida. Um, and we, when you get up to category eight, you're basically supposed to go home and stay home. So work is canceled. Now they didn't turn on the category eight warning until like six o'clock. So everybody was kind of rushing to go home anyway. It took me three hours to get home because it was sort of a mad panic and public transportation was all, um, blocked up to the nines. Um, but then it went up even further as I heard. I slept through it too, but, um, I live in a village and so there was lots of stuff blowing around outside and, uh, lots of noise. A little bit scary at a few times, but nothing, nothing really major. Just some trees down and whatnot in the village. Uh, didn't even lose power, which I'm surprised that I've had, uh, much weaker typhoons pass by and, um, we've lost power on occasion. But uh, I, my wife told me when I got up in the morning that uh, apparently went up to a Category 10 at one point. Am I, is that correct, Kevin? Yes, it's, it's pretty amazing because the, uh, the storm got upgraded to a typhoon uh, when it came nearby Hong Kong, when it was um, close enough to be an 8. And then by, by, by 11.20, 11.30, the thing became a severe typhoon. You know, these storms never power, power uh, they never gain, gain uh, power so, so close to land. And yet it kept gaining power even when it's a Category 8. So, of course, it got, I don't, I don't think anyone expected it to be up to going up to 9, let alone 10. So it was kind of a, a very exciting hour when, when I was kind of following all that on the news. Yeah. Um, and th- th- so this hasn't, we haven't had a, a Category 10, I think, in like over a decade. Um, 13 years, I think. Yeah. Yes. So it's been a while, but still we didn't we weren't getting a direct hit. I think actually Macau got more of a direct hit than uh, Hong Kong did. Um, but uh, I don't know. It was you know got up in the morning and of course uh, it was still uh, classified as a category eight because it had moved a bit further away. But people were waiting, uh, and then by ten o'clock they said, "All right, everybody, go back to work," and you've got like two hours to get there. Uh, so there was sort of a mad rush again to get to public transportation. Um, I take it that uh, you guys really didn't have a problem getting to your office. You guys were all okay. You didn't have any uh, traffic jams or, or down trees or anything obstructing you. Not, not for me. Uh, the, the 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 MTR was kind of, of course, it was packed, but um, I took the necessary detour. Um, so I tried I tried to avoid the crowd, and I kind of had a relatively easier commute than some people. You know, some people had to. You know, deal with um, uh, downed, uh, like in in, in Yuanlong and Tunmun, where the light rail uh, tracks were blocked by downed trees or or things like that. I was, I was a little luckier than that. Yeah. And Ross, is it pretty easy for you to get to work from where you're at? Took a bus, same bus I take every day. Yeah. And uh, there were downed trees, but none were in my way. So I was fine. Mm. So Life is easy. Fairly easy. Um, so, yeah, but uh, some people live out on the islands and whatnot, and they have a uh, a somewhat tougher time getting back over to uh, to the uh, you know proper areas where we do uh, all of our commercial and and capitalistic uh, processes throughout the day. Um, but yeah, Vincente uh, will long be remembered as uh, the category ten that we all slept through, right? Um, so yeah, uh, anything else going on, gentlemen? Uh, anything? Any other news besides the uh, typhoon? Uh, sorry, I missed the book fair, so I didn't get any any pictures of Lamos. Otherwise, I would have reported back. Hmm. Yes. Typically, Not that exciting anyway. What was that, Ross? Not that exciting. Did you go this year? No. No. Uh, the comic animation fair is actually coming up this weekend. Will you be going to that? 
No, because I, I couldn't secure a pre-order for one of those limited edition Jim Gordon action figures, so no. <laughs> so angry. Oh, you, you, you lost out on that? I have no clue. You know, their, their, their system is so bad. We're talking about a Hong Kong company called Hot Toys. They're, they're really big in the uh, one-scale figure community. And, oh, sorry, what uh, was the name again, Ross? Hot Toys. Hot Look Toys. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're really, they started actually making bootleg figures. Shh. But um, they like uh, now they're like the hottest name of anyone who will make like uh, really good replicas of you know all your geek properties. They have an Avengers line, and they did Batman four years ago, and and you know what they put together is a really really high quality. You've probably seen some at my uh, my place. Yeah, uh, but like, uh, they do. Are they the same ones that do some of the local movie figures like the Infernal Affairs, Andy Lau, and? No, those are much worse companies. Okay. <laughs> but uh, they have done some uh, Hong Kong properties. They did like Warlords, but they weren't able to get really good likenesses. And they haven't really done a Hong Kong property in a while. They've done some Japanese ones, though. Mm. They did a Kamui figure that looked like, what's his name? You know, Mr. Uh, Mister Death Note. Um, Ichi Matsuyama. Mm. They, they made one of him. And then they made also one from the film uh, Going On, the three leads. So you could have your own... Uh, uh, her name figure departures kevin the, the what the what figure uh what's her name from departures uh, uh, uh um yoko hirose yeah 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 there you could own your own uh yoko hirose figure but uh i didn't buy one huh. anyway they, they have a really terrible system for uh for um getting exclusives basically um Basically, what happens is the scalpers, they hire a bunch of domestic helpers and uh, and people who have their Sundays off to stand in line all day to secure the, uh, the limited figures. Yeah. So we can scalp them online. So it's, the, it's the same thing they did with the iPhone, basically. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. And it pisses everyone off every year. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to happen this time. This time they had a different system, but I didn't even get an email about it. And So, so, so yes, no Jim Gordon for me. Hmm. Uh, now there's... Always eBay or yes. Taobao, I guess. <laughs> All right, uh, so we're going to talk about some other stuff besides figures this week. We've got uh, some films to talk about. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, one East Screen film, one West Screen film. Of course, the West Screen film is going to be uh, The Dark Knight Rises. But, Kevin, you went to Shenzhen, and you're going to be talking about an East Screen film this week. Uh, what film is that? Yes, I'll be talking about uh, the latest film from director Chung Kai-ge, uh, Caught in the Web. Is that like a sequel to Spider-Man? Uh, sadly, no, but oh. it, it's a little more literal than, than <laughs> that. Um, I don't, if Chunkai ever made Spider-Man, you know, it'd be as crazy as like The Promise, which actually might make it good. Mm. Yeah, I'll wait for that. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about a little bit of news. All right, a couple of uh, Hong Kong-related stories uh, to talk about for news this week. Uh, first up, a uh, little bit of news uh, related to one of our favorite directors, Pang Ho Chung, um, about an incident that happened here locally during the book fair that uh, we were talking about just a little while ago, um, where apparently he was being interviewed, I guess, uh, as part of the book fair. And the interviewer, um, I guess her name is Leona Wong. Um, no, that's, no the, the interviewer is uh, Chen Jiang. And, and oh, sorry, that's the columnist, the yeah. Uh, the interview is Chen Jian, and uh, she's a host, I guess, from RTHK's Mandarin channel. RTHK is uh, one of the 
media channels here in Hong Kong, and she's from Shanghai. Um, and so she was the host of this forum, and Pang Ho Chung was there answering questions. And apparently she was holding the forum in Mandarin, Putonghua, and he wanted to use Cantonese, and the audience wanted him to use Cantonese. Apparently his Mandarin is not that good. Um, and it got into a little bit of a sort of a verbal back and forth, a verbal tussle. Um, of course, this is a very sensitive issue for local Hong Kong people, uh, local Cantonese speakers, native Cantonese speakers, because of sort of the encroaching identity issues from uh, from Mandarin speakers, both mainlanders coming to live in Hong Kong, to take up work in Hong Kong, buying property in Hong Kong. Of course, more and more Mandarin language films dominating local cinemas in Hong Kong. Um, directors like Mr. Pang going north to make Mandarin films uh, in the mainland. Um, so, you know, there, there's a tension that's been there, and some people have equated this as a language war or a war on Cantonese, that, uh, you know, this is part of a soft power move by the Beijing government to sort of uh, unify the one country, two systems concept uh, even further even though technically they're not supposed to do this under the, the resolution, you know, the, that says there's a hands-off policy until 2046. But uh, a lot of people see this as just another type of encroachment on local culture. Um, so did you, I, you didn't go to this, did you, Kevin? No, but I did pick this up on, uh, on Facebook the other day, and I wrote about it on my Twitter. Um, but actually, I do... This, this this so-called language war. I know I know Hong Kongers would love love to own Cantonese as a language, you know, because yes, we do speak Cantonese. Our our primary language is Cantonese, but actually, this whole language war is has been extended essentially to to Guan the Guangdong Province, because most people in Guangdong Province, uh, except for Shenzhen, where you know mostly migrant workers, so it's mostly Mandarin speaking, but in most of Guangdong Province, people speak Cantonese and they're quite they hold it quite close to to their hearts. Uh, so so when uh, there are a lot of resistance when when the the central government wanted to I think uh, I think they made TV local TV stations uh, apply for permission when they want to do Cantonese programs which is in a way kind of uh, um, trying to cut down the the amount of Cantonese on TV and people of Guangdong province had you know demonstrations uh, and things like that so this is actually entire it's more like a south versus north battle in a way and uh, and it, it very much um, the, the resistance is, is very much the southern attitude as Cantonese people who who is actually one of the most is the most spoken so-called minority language in China. Uh, it's one of the most spoken languages in the world, and and um, we're quite proud of speaking Cantonese. So this is a very interesting um, a little battle that that kind of played out. But of course, I I went to film school here in Hong Kong, and many of my classmates are Mandarin speakers. Uh, but yet we we the school invited many uh, actually Hong Kong directors, um, and. I run into this kind of things all the time where Hong Kong directors are forced to speak Mandarin because most of their audiences, uh, i.e. the students, uh, speak Mandarin. So um, it's, it's nice to see the battle go the other way because most of the time the directors compromise and they always speak Mandarin. Um, and to just to appease the, the, man, uh, the, the Mandarin students. Uh, so it's very nice. I, as, a, as a Cantonese speaker, uh, it's, it's very nice to see Cantonese win for once. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I find this... This kind of you know, this kind of issue interesting. I mean, typically you would think when you're having a guest, 
and you're interviewing a guest, if the guest is more comfortable at a forum, you know, engaging in a certain language, and most people in the forum understand that language, um, that it wouldn't be such an issue uh, as went on here at this particular incident uh, at the at the book fair. Um, I'll put the link on the on the show notes. There's a pretty good breakdown of what happened on um, the blog known as the uh, Bad Canto or the Dictionary of Political Incorrect Hong Kong Cantonese, um, where they kind of do a play by play of exactly what happened. And it's um, actually translated from what I read on on Facebook. I don't yeah. even know where I got that yet. But... Um, it's it's an interesting read, and it's interesting to see some of the reactions from both the audience the host and uh, director Pang uh, as, as they went through this, uh, this, this forum. And uh, it is very baffling. I don't know why they bothered getting a Mandarin speaking host to host a, a seminar with a Hong Kong director at the Hong Kong book fair. Um, yes, it is true that um, uh, Pang's, Pang's readership has increased uh, tenfold in, in, in China. It is true that many of his readers are now in China, but, the thing is, just because most of his readers are now from China, doesn't mean that they should still, you know, get a Mandarin speaker or have a try to have him hold a Mandarin seminar. Especially if you heard Pan Chan's Mandarin, it it really is some of the worst Mandarin I've ever heard. Like almost worse than Louis Ku Mandarin. Yeah, that's how bad it is. And some of the comments on this uh, this blog also reflect that idea um, that somehow Louis Ku is the uh, the the gold standard for bad bad Mandarin. Yeah, that's only because Pound Trends didn't speak Mandarin often enough in public. Yeah. <laughs> uh, poor Lewis. He doesn't get enough respect. I hear Eakin Chang's is really bad, too. Eakin's? Yes, he's uh, Mandarin in, uh, in, uh, in Jordan's also. Mm. <laughs> I think Eric is really bad. But don't they have Mandarin albums? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Fiona Sid doesn't know how to read Chinese either, but yeah, she keeps releasing things in Cantonese. Mm. All right. Um, so yeah, we'll have to wait and see if the war of languages uh, continues uh, into the future. Uh, another little bit of news, uh, also kind of discussing more of the declination of Hong Kong, if you would uh, like to read it that way. Uh, this coming from Bloomberg. Uh, it's an article entitled Louis Vuitton Bags Defeating Jet Li Heroes in Hong Kong. This is by uh, Frederick Balfour from uh, yesterday, July 23rd. Um, <clears throat> this is basically an article that's looking at some of the changing uh, space in Hong Kong and, and some, of, some of the ways in which uh, uh, and entertainment space and, and consumer space has changed. Certainly, I've seen these changes occur within the decade that I've been here, and I think probably both Kevin and Ross have uh, experienced these uh, to some extent as well. Um, the, the article basically talks about how the high-class retail is uh, really killing the cinema business. Um, and they say that uh, cinemas are giving way to Louis, Louis Vuitton stores or uh, Agnes B. shops or other high-end retailers. Um, we've seen, I, I know that I've seen a, a number of uh, smaller theater venues close down. Um, and in some cases, there have been bigger chain cinemas that have emerged in some of the mall spaces. Um, but now it seems that there's a press to e that, that, that somehow um, the high-end 
the, the more high-end shops uh, don't like cinemas, I guess, because they're too family-oriented. I know that it, at the Pacific Place Mall near where I work, they used to have a really nice food court. They used to have a McDonald's in there. They still have an, uh, an AMC cinema there, but they got rid of the McDonald's. They got rid of the food court and they put in more high-end shops. There are, still only a, there are now only a few places to eat in that mall, uh, like a Dan Ryan's and a couple more high-end uh, expensive restaurants. But the, the management wanted to upscale and get rid of uh, some of the, I guess, the middle class or the, or the lower class fare, uh, and uh, they did so through increasing of the rents. Um, gentrification. But, what was that? Gentrification? Yeah, I guess so. Um, the, I I I, just, I I don't know if it's about that because like like um the article says Bill Kong says selling one LV bag is equivalent of selling out 100 200 seats which means LV is willing to pay a much 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 higher rent than say a, a cinema yeah but anyway but that's that's but bad. but 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 that again this goes to the rising rents and to the consumer base right I mean they don't want people in there buying burgers they don't want people in there buying. Uh, you know, matinee tickets or things. If it's if they can make more money um, from a shop that's going to sell these these high end merchandise, and of course, interestingly, more and more, it's not the Hong Kong people themselves who are buying these things. It is uh, tourists, a lot of times coming from the mainland during Golden Weeks um, and and similar vacation periods to spend their their money. Um, I never really connected it as as really impacting the the cinema industry but it kind of makes sense i mean i'd i i'd hate to see uh you know the amcs in uh, festival walk or pacific place closed down because i do go to them on occasion um do you think that's likely no no i don't i don't i don't think so i mean one the the, the one that everyone is talking about is of course uh times times square um, that that old space at UA Times Square is going to become an LV shop is true, but what the news doesn't report is that that cinema is actually moving up to the top floor, to the twelfth floor. Yeah. Uh, a, uh, Pacific Place still has a high end cinema. Actually, the the one Pacific Place still one of the most uh, expensive cinemas in in the city. Uh, same for the one IFC. So they they would just adjust ticket prices um accordingly to the to the scale of the mall. So I don't think um you have to worry too much about like the one at Festival Walk because that one is a huge um. A huge uh, window shopper bringer. I mean, uh, attract. Uh, they attract a lot of uh, uh, window shoppers because of this many of, number of houses. Hmm. So, so and the fact that people have to walk across the entire mall to get there means that there will be a lot of window shoppers. Yeah. So, cinema still has has its appeal, um, and I don't think we have to worry about it. And I think I, I find it really ironic that the story uses Bill Kong, who runs not only runs Broadway Cinemas, uh, also runs uh, Echo, a, a distributor. But he also his his company Echo is actually also in charge of distribution for all Sony and Universal films here in Hong Kong, yeah. and he also has uh, a stake in 20th Century Fox in Hong Kong, which means he himself is a monopoly of this of the of the cinema and, and movie business here in Hong Kong. Yeah. There's so he, a... here he is. He's crying victim about you know how he's being taken by you know high scale shops and whatever whatever. And meanwhile, he is the one that has an iron grip on the cinema business here in Hong Kong. And there's a picture of him on the article. It says, uh, film producer Bill Kong at work on his movie Nightfall. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, take that for what it's worth. Um, but it does. it also turns its eye to the mainland. It says in mainland China, meanwhile, the cinema building boom is getting out of control. Um, this uh, a statement coming from Kong. 
Uh, he says it's becoming vastly overbuilt in certain areas, such as Shenzhen and Wuhan. In Shenzhen, every subway station has one or two multiplexes. Broadway has 19 cinemas with 118 screens in China and may open two more later this year in third-tier cities. I mean, um, I've been no, to Shenzhen to see a movie or two a couple times. I don't remember there being uh, that many multiplexes at every station. Uh, but Kevin, I think, you know, you've, you've gone quite a few times and you've been able to uh, speak of, you know, you, you can probably speak a little bit more to that statement. Is it is it overbuilt in Shenzhen? I don't know about overbuilt, but I will say that the the two movies, both movies I went to in, in Shenzhen over the weekend, didn't, I don't think, one only had about 15 people and they don't only had about maybe 30 people, but that's only because um, it was opening day of a movie that only has free shows. Hmm. So yes, if you want to, but of course that 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 kind of uh, is in contrast to the Golden Harvest Cinema across that that uh, subway station. So yes, that subway station, uh, Grand Theater does have two multiplexes. Uh, that that cinema, Golden Harvest, is one of the highest grossing cinema in China. And yes, the two the shows I I went there are often at least fifty percent full. Hmm. So um, you know, with with things like uh, group bonds and and uh, you know big blockbusters coming out there is such a demand probably for for you know multiplexes uh, who knows i mean if if, if this article is correct when you know one day in the near future we'll won't have any cinemas left in hong kong and we'll all be going to uh to shenzhen to watch movies right <laughs> movie night in shenzhen <laughs> but you know the, the the thing is that that article just sounds like it was sorry i didn't read it but the article um just sounds like someone took a uh just took the one instance and kind of built too much out of it. Well, it all right. I think so. It is coming from Bloomberg, so they're definitely trying to spin the the monetization angle. And you know, so when it mentions companies like uh, Louis Vuitton, it's got their trading symbol after it and things like this. Um, so, so it does. I guess it does skew a little bit that way that it's looking at it more from an investment perspective. You know, in terms of the success of certain uh, high-end brands here, which is true. I mean, uh, I've seen in the the building that I work in in uh, Admiralty, um, the the first floor has sort of been taken over by uh, this. Uh, I think it was originally supposed to be. Um, I can't can't remember what what was the what was the shop that uh, Stephen Chow took Vicky Zhao to in uh, Shaolin Soccer. Crawford. Yeah, Lane Crawford. I think I, I think it's a subsidiary of Lane Crawford, but they've really tried to upscale that. They've pushed out a lot of smaller shops. Um, they've pushed out pushed out a lot of the smaller, you know, mid tier restaurants like Delafrance and others. Um, a lot of the independent shops have had to move out because you know they're they're trying to upscale this building. We're basically connected to Pacific Place by a walkway. The one across the street. Yeah, Queensway. Oh, okay. And so we're like there's this idea of of sort of reverse blight if you know what blight is blight is like when an area gets depressed and uh you know the people the, the buildings decline in value and things get worse and worse and worse well this is kind of the opposite um you know this it, it, i i don't doubt that that's true in terms of upscaling I, I mean frankly i think mcdonald's should be more worried than cinemas though in hong kong yeah because you know in these locations uh kevin is correct that they'll just raise the ticket prices to uh, match the rent and mainland visitors will go to the movies. This is, uh, you know, it's, it's not like they spend all their time in LV and 
and uh, Chanel and uh, and uh, DNG, um, they will go to movies. Yeah. One good question to ask is, how many mainlanders are going to come here to watch the Dark Knight Rises over the next three four weeks? Yeah. Quite a few, because they don't have it there. You know, they, if they came in for Sex and Zen, which they did, you know, some of them will come for Dark Knight, and they'll yeah. come for other Hollywood films that you know they're looking forward to. They're just like everybody else. It's not like you know they don't care about the Dark Knight. Of course they care, and they're not getting until when? August thirtieth. Yeah, come on, they're gonna be here to watch it too. So, no, it pays to have a cinema in the same mall as your LV store. Yeah. Yes, that's why actually many of the, the many year. of the new malls, many new malls still have a cinema. For example, the one has a cinema. Um, like I like I said, IFC. And uh, even when Pacific Place, when they pushed out the the older cinema, which is uh, it was UA, I think. Even then, they they had uh, AMC take over, and AMC um uh essentially blinged up the place, you know, put it a wine bar, make the houses smaller, give them leather seats, raise ticket price to one hundred and twenty dollars, and that's how they make money. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, let's just uh, see what happens. Uh, it'd be a shame if we lost any more cinemas. Uh, we've lost a lot of the smaller private ones and of course i'd hate to lose the dynasty uh hopefully that won't happen you know could, uh... yes those are the ones who worry about the thing is they aren't really losing to luxury stores they're losing to lack of audiences lack of local interest and that's what we should be really worried about mm. these local cinemas uh, on the way out not the not the shopping mall ones mm. absolutely all right uh, i think that's going to cover it for news this week why don't we move on and talk about some film hey. I can't believe I just said I worried about losing the dynasty. The hell, I'd be sad if the dynasty closed. <laughs> I'll be honest. I, I love that theater. I mean, it's it's a hole in the wall, but it's a great you know sort of traditional Hong Kong cinema experience. Um, you know, the only ones who feel this way. What? We're the only ones who feel this way. And, and, well, and the plastic bag man who shows up to opening night every <laughs> And where else are you going to watch uh, 3D Sex and Zen Part 2, right? Uh, all right, so we do have an e-screen film to talk about this week, um, and that's going to throw the ball over to Kevin because uh, you've gone up to China uh, to do some film watching in Shenzhen, as, we, as you just talked about. Um, but, of course, uh, this is uh, all on you because this film you're going to talk about, Caught in the Web, uh, hasn't opened here in Hong Kong. And my question to you is, is it going to open here in Hong Kong? Uh, it was a pretty big hit in, in China. And it does have uh, several stars that are recognizable in Hong Kong. But uh, I would look for it more in a festival than mm. Hong Kong because it's not really... Uh, just like his uh, Chen Kaige's previous film, Sacrifice, um, it has stars that are recognizable in Hong Kong but doesn't really have commercial appeal. So... It might find its way here, uh, but yeah, it, w- it would be great if it finds its way here. It's a, it's a good film. But anyway, um, should I talk about the movie? Yeah, please. Okay. Okay, so Chen Kaige, uh, the guy who directed such masterpiece like um, Farewell, My Concubine, um, and The Promise, uh, is back, and he's uh, making a more contemporary film, uh, Caught in the Web. This is an ensemble drama that, uh, starring uh, quite a few big-name mainland actors, like uh, you got Yao Chen, Gao Yuanyuan, uh, Wan Shui Qi, who was also in Sacrifice before that, a um, couple of younger names like uh, Wang Luodan, uh and Chen Ran, and of course Taiwan's Mark Chow. Um, this is a big ensemble drama that takes place in um, a, a city, an anonymous city. Uh, one day, 
a uh, company secretary, uh, Ye Lan Cho, played by Gao Yuan Yuan, uh, goes to get a doctor's exam, physical examination, to up to renew her her health insurance, only to find out that um, she has signs of uh, symptoms of terminal cancer. Uh, so walking out, um, she's kind of a dazed, very worried because she has to be admitted to a hospital. She gets on a bus and sits on one of those handicapped seats. Um, and after being pushed to to give up her seat to an older man, which she doesn't do, she even flirts with the older man and asks him to sit on uh, on her lap. So that whole incident gets caught on on a cell phone um, that's owned by a intern uh, at a at a, at a news station played by Wan Luo Dan. Uh, and that video makes its way to the news um, on a on an event on a, on a current event show uh, produced by Chen Roshi, uh, played by Yao Chen, and the incident becomes a big web sensation and burns. And of course, um, Yilan Cho becomes kind of a web sensation and and kind of a really hated character on the web. Um, meanwhile, um, Wan Shuichi plays uh, Yilan Cho's boss. Um, Shen Liu Shu, uh, who also becomes eventually becomes the the focus of this whole incident because uh, it's it, it's discovered that uh, uh, she works this this woman works in this huge company and and the producer decides to put her focus on the company and which kind of drags the reputation uh, of the company into the into rock bottom and he decides to take revenge. Um, that's essentially the beginning of everything, but it gets a lot more complicated as all these people eventually gets caught in the web. Sorry, I had to use that pun. Um, anyway, Chen Gai Ge plays, he becomes kind of a big fish in a small pond because this is essentially a contemporary soap opera that has um, a bit more timely issues, you know, like media ethics and, and the use of the internet as, um, as media, as a tool, finding um, the new net sensation and, and how, that, how that affects people. Um, it is very timely, and the issues are very timely, and it's done in a very kind of cynical manner, almost almost comedic. Um, and and I think Chen Gai Ge and his co-writer they juggled these several subplots, and I think there are at least three or four going on. And the way they intercross all the time, he juggles them very well. This is a very good writer's movie in a way that he gives everyone their equal equal time. Um, but as a director, I think that he kind of rushed things too 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 quickly. He rushes the plot a little too much. Uh, it's very crammed. Uh, because it has a lot to get through, and you have to give equal time to everyone. And the film kind of moves a little too quickly. Uh, it is 122 minutes, and it has like five stories. So, the the so even though yes, you get kind of the cynicism of the movie, you get the the satire. It's all kind of you know fun that way to watch. Um, but it's not really affecting because towards the end, when it gets back to the uh, Yelan Cho character, who is may I remind you suffering from terminal illness, when they go back to that that angle um it, it's kind of disaffecting it's not really affecting enough because it rushes through everything so quickly and the rest of the movie is so cynical that you can't really take that part of it seriously but still um yeah really strong cast um so that means you have everyone playing at the top of the games Wanstra Chi is great he he kind of starts out as his best boss ever but then he, um, over the course of the story, as he takes revenge on the media, you kind of, he kind of, you kind of see that he's ruthless and, and he has a lot of fun with the role and he's a lot of fun to watch. And Yao Chun playing the ruthless producer, um, who is kind of a controlling uh, girlfriend to to her boyfriend as well, played by Mark Chow, by the way. Um, it, it's her character is very interesting to watch. Um, however, the film is essentially made for local audiences. Um, 
there's a lot of local issues, you know, like the the use of uh, BD blocks, Weibo, and um, the 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 argumentative style on Chinese uh, 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 current event shows and how they how they manipulate public opinion, things like that. These are very timely things for local audiences. Um, but it doesn't really reveal anything for anyone outside, anyone who's seen like you know the newsroom or who who learns anything about you know journalism uh, today or you know about the net. I don't think they'll find anything new in this film. Um, so essentially, it does become the movie does become about watching these big stars and 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 these timely issues that have to do with China more than anywhere else. Uh, but one note is that part of the popularity of the film is because this is the film where Gao Yuan, who Hong Kong film fans might know her from uh, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. This film where Gao Yuan and Mark Chow fell in love. Yes. Um, and you can see, because they spend most of the movie together, uh, and you can see that they great, make a great couple, and they have really good chemistry on screen, and, and they are actually a big appeal to to the film. They, they, they're they their angle, even though, like I said, towards the end, it does kind of get a little... It's not really quite affecting as it wants to be. They're, they, they have really good chemistry, and they're really good to watch. Uh, so if you're interested... In this topic, unfortunately, the film was not English subtitled when I watched it in Shenzhen, but uh, eventually a DVD might with English subs might make its way or it might make its way to an overseas festival because it is Chengai Ge. Um, if you're interested in the topic, then yes, definitely a see it, I think. Um, but even if you know nothing about stars and if you're interested in the topic, it's at least worth TVing. I, I think it's a strong film. It's not a a great film. Like I said, Chengai Ge really has done much something much more ambitious and better than this. But um, it's a really solid film, considering this is the guy who did The Promise. You know, in hearing you describe it, it reminds me a little bit of um, the uh, the Feng Xiaogang film from, uh, I think, 2003, uh, Cell Phone. Ah, is it that's why I haven't watched. Is it, uh, you haven't seen it? I haven't seen that one. Okay, I was going to ask if it was comparable at all in terms of the way it kind of just is using, you know, because it... it that film kind of for at for the day was looking at, at the cell phone as a device for communication and and problems in communication and and sort of a being a, a an intermediary in facilitation and and of problems and 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 uh, solutions i guess in relationships and i'm wondering if here you're they're doing a similar thing but it's using you know the internet and you know, Facebook or Chinese versions of Facebook or Weibo or things like that. Actually, I was surprised that this movie ended up become more about media manipulation and, and the manipulation of public opinion uh, through, you know, through kind of influence more than about the the use of human search engine, which is essentially what the movie's named after. The Chinese name is about the Chinese name of the movie is called Search, which is named after human flesh search, which is how people um, find the real <laughs> yes, human, flesh right? search. human yes. flesh search. Yes, this is how people essentially media how internet sensations um, when they come up, people they call them they they say they do something called human flesh search, which means they they do they get group together resources to find the real identity of the person to review that person to expose that person and to that's what you know public flesh search is supposed to be. <laughs> unfortunately, like no, no. Unfortunately, no. Gao Yuan's flesh is not searched. It makes me think of something a little more wrong than. Just searching a person. Yes, but remember, we're talking about the Chinese internet, so none of that going on there. Yes. Unless you have a VPN. There is no bad behavior on Chinese internet, right? 
Yes, but like I said, the movie is very timely, and and it's you know at the same time while I'm watching while we're we're following the newsroom, I go and watch this movie about you know the the media as a public opinion manipulator and things like that. It's all very it's a very interesting topic to me right now. Hmm. I mean that film and the way that it juggles everything and some of the power play is really interesting, and especially the Wanshu Chi character how he uses uh, his wife to to you know sway certain things it's it, it's all very the, the the character dynamic is very interesting to watch um yeah it's it's much better film than i expected to be yeah it's an interesting lesson in translation too how you you go from human flesh search in chinese to caught in the web in english <laughs> uh all right we'll have to look forward to that uh probably i guess we'll like you mentioned we'll most likely have to wait for video here then uh, could be something that shows up at the Asian Film Festival. Mm, okay. I hope so. I mean, it's a Chiang Kai Ge movie. It's weird to how you know it's not like Chiang Kai Ge previous film was a bad film. And Sacrifice was a great film, and and actually, it's not an opinion that only a two or three of us hold. It's it's been quite well received. So I was surprised how this movie is getting so little but attention. It's, it's not a director that's a lot of buzz anymore. Unfortunately, buzz is more important than actual quality. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. All right. We will have to wait and see. Uh, I think it's time to move on and talk about our West Screen film for this week, so let me play this. East Screen, West Screen. Question. Yes. Should we do, and if I should have asked this earlier, are we going to do like a spoiler section where we just go all yes. out and talk about spoilers? Okay. Yeah, uh, we'll do a, just a, a sort of a normal uh, general discussion uh, of stuff, but then we will all I'll throw out a spoilers thing and we'll spoil the heck out of it. So uh, if you're in the chat room, uh, people are in the chat room or if you're listening to this uh, live or if you're listening to this as a pod in podcast or recorded form, um, I will throw in the the spoilers sound alert uh, at some point. And uh, then uh, please be advised if you haven't seen the film, we're going to ruin it for you. So you'll want to um, either turn off your recording or stop listening at that point. All right, so um, yeah, our film for West Screen this week is, of course, the big blockbuster, The Dark Knight Rises, the uh, third and final, supposedly, film of the uh, Christopher Nolan trilogy. Um, and I do say supposedly with a little bit of um, trepidation, and I'll, I'll talk more about that in, in the spoiler section. So this film basically... Uh, uh, picks up um, years after the events that happened in uh, the, the Dark Knight, and we have a much older Bruce Wayne now, and uh, he is um, gone into retirement, and Gotham is basically, uh, for the most part, crime-free because of the Dent Act, uh, uh, a piece of legislation put in place um, to sort of... Um, uh, celebrate the, the the passing of Harvey Dent as as the the city's uh, you know uh, icon of of crime fighting. Of course, the Dent Act is seen by some as problematic, in that uh, it, I guess it infringes on on rights and uh, does things that uh, could be considered uh, not overly um, prudent in in a in a strong judicial system. Um, stupid process basically yeah it, so in, in some ways i guess it's paralleling um um what what's the the thing you know some of the things they're doing in 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 the united states with uh gitmo and and uh some of the suspension suspension of habeas corpus and things like that so there are some parallels 
um, that are that are touched upon. They don't really get that deeply into the politics of it. Um, but basically, this is the world that of Gotham that has been established uh, as sort of the fallout from the, the second film. Um, but then, and because of this, there's there's been no need for Batman. Uh, but then, of course, things change. Uh, a new criminal element uh, has come to town, and his name is Bane. And he brings his appearance brings Batman um, out of retri- retirement, um, but it might seem that Batman has met his match because uh, Bane is a very powerful, a uh, very well thought out uh, criminal who sets a trap for Batman. And uh, I don't want to give out too much more of the film because uh, that would be, again, moving into spoiler territory. We'll talk about more of that in just a bit. Um, I guess I, I guess I'll start and and uh, put out a couple of my thoughts about the film, um, and then I'll pass over to uh, Ross and to Kevin to to give their thoughts, and then we'll go on to talk about some some spoiler aspects. Um, I thought it was a really solid ending to the series. Um, it was a really long movie. It's it's basically two and a half hours long. Um, hours of forty five minutes. Yeah. It, 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 it's it, it's lengthy, um, and I felt I felt the length. I felt it was maybe overly long. They do that for to necessitate um, basically a lot of stuff that goes on in the second and third act, particularly the third act, to make it feel like there's a an extended passage of time uh, to help set up the story further. Um, but for a movie that's two hours and forty five minutes or so, um, there wasn't enough Batman for me really. Um, you really see very little of Batman. In fact, I, I think if you timed it all out, um, maybe he's not even in a fifth of the movie in terms of actual screen time. Um, Do you mean Batman or Bruce Wayne? Batman. Okay. Yeah. Now, Bruce Wayne, there, there, there's, there's a lot of Bruce Wayne and there's a lot of Bale. And I, I guess that speaks to the point uh, you know, that we've talked about in other films, such as talking about Avengers or even Spider-Man, where... Maybe the actors in their claws, they have a, a mask off policy now where the mask has to be off because they don't want their face obscured, um, you know, for a, a considerable portion of the movie. Right. I mean, you, you, if you're in a CG, if you're showing a CG Iron Man or a CG Spider-Man, you're not really seeing, you know, uh, um, uh, Andrew, you know, you know, Garfield or, or um, Robert Downey Jr. Right. Um, and well, I, I didn't see Garfield at all in that movie, you know, because he's a cat. Yeah, you get the idea, right? Yes, I do. Um, so, yeah, I, you, you, we have a lot of Bruce Wayne, but for my taste, there wasn't a lot of Batman. Um, and then we have the two other sort of major DC characters who come in, um, it's not really spoiling anything because they're fully in the trailers. Um, you've got Bane and Catwoman. Bane, I think, of the entire story was the weakest element for me. He did not work for me. Um, Tom Hardy, I felt, was kind of wasted, again, because of that whole mask issue. He's hidden behind a mask that really doesn't look anything like a Bane mask to me um, For from from what I forced, you know, have typically seen as Bane. Again, I'm drawing from the comic books. I'm drawing from things like uh, uh, Arkham City and the very comic book-esque portrayals of Bane. They do make him as sort of this really large, powerful character. 
Um, there is a reason that he wears the mask, although it's kind of kind of weird, uh, the reason that they give. But for me, he basically just sort of comes across as a parody of uh, the, the, road work, the road warrior character, the Lord Humongous, um, because he kind of talks in this weird voice, and he's, you know, flexing his muscles, but he's kind of intelligent, and, um, you know, it, it, it just... It, of all the things, of all the elements in the film, that characterization worked for me uh, the least. Um, Catwoman, I was surprised. I didn't really, I'm not a big Anne Hathaway fan, but I thought she did okay. Um, she's not really the feisty feline character that you're, you know and love from the video games or other movies or um, the comic books, but I thought the portrayal for the tone that was being set for the film, I, I thought the portrayal was okay, and I thought that... Uh, that Anne Hathaway really did an okay job. Um, she she sold enough of the character for me, um, although there has been some criticism over, you know, she's uh, she's supposed to be a thief, but she's got access to these outfits and things. So I, I didn't really have a problem with that aspect of it as as much, and and I was surprised by her. I, I didn't think she was going to work from the footage that I saw uh, from trailers. I really enjoyed the supporting cast, especially Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, uh, you know, he had a lot of screen time, and I, and I liked when he was on the screen, and I liked what they did with him uh, as a character. Um, but overall, I was kind of longing for a bit more Burton in places. Um, because for me, the film, especially this third one, more so than the first one or the second one. I mean, I loved the first one, and I really loved the second one. This one seemed to really t push it too far into reality for my taste. This seemed the least like a comic book character and a comic book story uh, than any of the other films. And I mean, I know that people rave about the, the Joker's portrayal uh, by Heath Ledger in the second one and the realism and the grittiness of that one, but that, for some reason, that film still felt comic bookish to me. This one did not. Um, and I haven't really been able to place my finger on exactly why, um, but they just went a bit too far into reality and out of comic bookery from for my taste for what I expect from a superhero film. Um, but so so yeah, I, I was I was kind of hoping for a bit more. You know, at a couple points, I was saying to myself, I'd really like a bit more of a Tim Burton touch here or there or, or feeling. I mean, there's a there's one part part where Batman's like out in a city street, um, you know, basically fighting in, in broad daylight, and this is, you know, it's it's. It's an okay fight, but it's just not how I see Batman, really. Um, it's it's I'm thinking more of you know you know Frank Miller and and old images and and Batman's element is the, is the dark, uh, not being a, a street foot soldier. Um, but overall, it's still an excellent film. It's still, as I said, a very solid ending to the series. It's still something that it is a must see um, for you know fans of Batman or fans of summer film. Uh, in you know, in short, so you know, definitely don't take my criticism as any reason to to not go out and see the film. I'm just trying to relay some of the things that I found uh, less than uh, less than my expectations. Um, Ross, why don't we, since you're the guest, why don't we go to you and hear hear your thoughts on the film? Well, the thing is, you know, I mean, I agree with some of what you say. A lot of the portrayals, I, I don't have a big of problem with with Bane. Actually, um, well, Anne Hathaway, I thought was going to work, and I thought she did, so I didn't have an issue there. And because uh, I think she's a really good actress, and there's no reason why she wouldn't work, in my opinion. And and she did it, so 
And uh, and Bane, Bane, I see what you're getting at. Um, the mask thing is kind of arbitrary in a way. It's not necessary. They kind of did to make him look kind of like the character. He does look a bit like the character, at least you know, just the, the kind of the makeup of the of uh, of how the the mask plays on his face. But yeah, it, it's not really necessary. Um, especially the fact that basically the mask in the movie is supposed to hold back this pain that he feels. In the comic book, uh, Bane is actually hooked up to this uh, crazy uh, drug called Venom that he's supposed to take every 24 hours. It actually gives him enhanced strength. Uh, it's like a steroid. But if he doesn't take it, then what happens is he goes into a really crazy withdrawal and uh, basically he becomes powerless. So they kind of wanted to like parallel it a little there. Obviously, there's not going to be a massive steroid that he takes, although that would have been interesting. But um, the thing that you say about how you don't really feel it was Batman, uh, I, I kind of, I kind of have the opposite feeling because the thing about Batman is really, I mean, I know there are reviews out there where people say this this isn't Batman to me. It's not the Batman I know. Batman wouldn't do this. Batman wouldn't do this. Well, my question was, why didn't Christian Bale have shark repellent in his belt? <laughs> And why didn't he surf against Heath Ledger as the Joker in the second film? Because isn't this Batman to some people? So, so, you know, you know. And where was Egghead? How come they didn't put Egghead and King Tut in this movie? It's that's the thing, you know. Batman, the the very nature of the character, the thing that makes it so great in a way is that it's so adaptable. Mm. And um, you know, if if unless you want to, t- there is no real gospel for Batman. Um, beyond certain elements of the character, and um, and there's really more of a spirit to what Batman is than than an actual you know rule book. So by that token, I think you know they do a pretty good job, and uh, I think that uh, Christopher Nolan really at least gets the idea of Batman, gets you know what what you know where it starts from, what you can do with the character without taking it too far out of bounds, mm-hmm. keep within what it's supposed to be or what feels right for the character. Uh, in comic books, this thing they used to call it this, but they don't anymore. But there was a a series of like alternate reality Batman stories called Elseworlds. Actually, it was there was alternate reality everybody stories, but for some reason, like ninety percent of the line was Batman, the other ten percent was Superman, and then that was it. But, yeah, I think I have one of those. I think I have one where it was like Batman as a World War One flying ace or something. <laughs> and I guess he fought Snoopy or something, but um, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, there's like Batman the Victorian era, Batman versus Jack the Ripper, Batman uh, in like dark the Dark Ages. I think there was there was one uh, a Batman kind of Zorro one too, if I remember. There was Batman when he became a vampire. <laughs> Seriously, and it's like three books, and it's really good. And uh, what if Batman? Uh, you know, what if uh, Clark Kent becomes Batman? My God, you know, it's just, it's just insane. And also, where the vulnerable Batman is the one who uh, who uh, found got the Green Lantern ring. And, and Batman uh, became the Flash, but you know, no one ever does. What if the Flash became Batman? Because no one cares. But um, <laughs> or even worse, what if Aquaman became Batman? Right? Actually, there never was a Batman Aquaman mix up, like mashup. Because you know, who cares? You know, Batman talks to fish. You realize Batman could probably already talk talk to fish. He just doesn't tell anyone because it would, you know, yeah, it's give a... away his. Uh, it, it would it would it would take away one of his potential weapons. But you know, see, the thing is, Batman is really just he's really adaptable, and so you know, Chris. Nolan's version of Batman is just to me like an Elseworlds. Mm. It starts off kind of the same, but you know, he already takes some liberties and with each film it gets more and more into something different. It becomes more like you said, Neil. And you know, I, I I'm not so I don't really have a problem with the uh, Christian Bale outside of the I mean the the two little Batman by this film anyway. 
And one of the greatest things I think about all three of these films is that they don't find a stupid scene where Christian Bale has to rip off his mask to show somebody, like in the middle of nowhere, or just to prove something. Yeah. You know, that happens in like all superhero movies, like Spider Man, every single Spider Man. The guy takes his mask off like at the climax and is running around somewhere without his mask. Um, yeah, Batman, uh, the second Batman, it happens. You know, there has to be like this this reason for it to happen. But you know, at the end of all these, uh, the you know, and actually, even in the Dark Knight, the whole film goes like the last half hour without seeing Christian Bale's face. He's still wearing the mask the whole time. So, I'm okay with it. Um, in the end, it really is Bruce Wayne's story, and that's the one thing they seem to lose in all the Burton ones, and especially all the later Schumacher ones, is that these aren't Batman's uh, Bruce Wayne stories. They're always the villain's story, and, and Bruce Wayne is kind of just hanging out, going, "Oh, I'll stop you eventually." Yeah. After I, uh, well, I, my I think I think the. I think for me the you know the original run the first two hold up um, because they're both done by Burton and you've got Michael Keaton like him or hate him at least there's some continuity there. Um, but, I think the problem with the the following ones is that you've got a different Bruce Wayne every time, right? So it's it's impossible for you to have a sense of continuity with the character. No, but but, the, but the, the, who, who chooses the actors is actually the least of that problem. Is that Schumacher went took what Burton did. And went like the campy way, but, but you know, but the, the original my, my original point in bringing this up was that in Burton's films, Batman, it's not even his story. Those, both of those films, the first film is Joker's story practically. You know, yeah. The only the only the only story you really experience for Batman is you find out what happened to him, and that's it. You know, Batman doesn't really go through anything. You know, yeah. that changes him. That, that the later any- films as well it's true mm-hmm. yeah uh the later films as well i mean third yeah. film is about robin and then fourth film you have you know mr freeze and his frozen wife and all that crap and the, yeah. the, they did add a little something about alfred dying in the fourth one supposedly and bruce wayne has to learn to work with people but it's all garbage anyway because you know <laughs> the whole time it's like it's like what's his name uh, george clooney trying to sell you coffee or something <laughs> <laughs> The second film is is Penguin and Catwoman's. Yeah, well, it, it, you're, you are right in that each of those films, in a sense, is an origin story, but it's an origin story for the villain. Yes, yeah. very much so. And I think the thing that Nolan never never lost sight of through all three films, even the second one, which people claim is, is really about like the Joker, I think that's crap. Actually, all three of them are really about Bruce Wayne. Hmm. Um, yeah. The first film, of course, it's how he begins. The second film, it's how he... He uh, he has to really figure out how far he has to go, you know, to save Gotham City. He has to give up his his you know he has to give up Batman being a good guy. Hmm. You know, it's 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 really surprising what happens at the end of the second film, actually, in my opinion, because it's something that audiences can never predict is going to happen. You know, the sacrifice that he makes at the end of the second film. That's that's something that you know no one is ever going to go. Oh, that's going to happen at the end of the film. It's you, you never know. And that's that's really amazing because it really carries a weight and it does something interesting with, with the character. And actually, it makes sense for him that he's going to go this far. The third film takes it even further and is it's still about him. So, you know, it's very gratifying that they were able to make Batman movies about Batman. And one of the problems with the comic book Batman is you, it's really hard to do that because, you know, um, characters have to stay the same the whole damn time. How else can you run 600 issues about one guy? Yeah, You can't change that much. So... To make a really good film about this character and make it really about him, he has to change. And they do that through these three films, and that's the best thing about them. And uh, so, so for that reason, I think it's great that they really get involved with Bruce Wayne and not so much just him in a mask. Now, it's interesting you, you, you mentioned that they, would, that they can't change him that much in the comics, even after you know hundreds and hundreds and, and, and world 
world universe destructions and reinventions and everything uh, that goes on, but they can have 12 different Robins. Because <laughs> <laughs> Robin can change, you see? And part of Robin changing is one gives up Robin and someone else becomes Robin, then he dies, then someone else becomes Robin, and he graduates, and then they bring in Batman's son as Robin. But not before there was this girl who was Robin for two issues, who is now been written out of the comics. All true. Yeah. Five Robins. Not counting the alternate realities. So, um, yeah, it's it's true. You have to change Robin. You have to change Batgirl. She lost the loose of her legs, and some other one else became Batgirl for a while. Because you can do that, and that's Bruce Wayne that changes him, because you know things are happening to people around him. You can't change him that much. Yeah. Because in the end, you still have to write a comic book about Bruce Wayne, and you know, you know, he's got a new girlfriend, and he's got a new Robin, and a new house, and Alfred leaves for five issues, and he comes back, and uh, Christopher Gordon gets, you know, retires, and then gets bumped up to mayor, then back down to commissioner, and then there's a universe reboot. It's but yeah, is you can't do much. So for them to do it this way is cool, and if you watch the three films together, they work fairly well as a story of one guy. Yeah, that, that's a good point, uh, Kevin. What, what was your take on The Dark Knight Rises? Uh, okay, I've never read one single Batman comic. Okay, I've only, I'm only going by the movies, uh, including the Schumacher ones. And I don't ever seen, I only seen, I haven't seen the second Batman movie. I haven't seen Batman Returns. I haven't seen Batman Returns. I've seen Batman. Uh, I've seen Batman Forever. I've seen Batman and Robin. And I've seen these three. That okay. This this is the part where you're all quiet and shocked. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I never. So I'm, that's where I'm coming from. You're missing an excellent performance by Danny DeVito. That's all I'm. I've seen bits and pieces. It's been on HBO lately, so I've seen bits of. <laughs> no, I I seen I seen like one episode. I've seen parts of the Adam West one. Yes. Anyway, that's where I'm coming from. There's in the powder, colored powder. It's amazing. Okay. So okay. Anyway, that's where I'm coming from. So I'm not. I'm not so. I have no stake whatsoever and think about oh this is batman to me it's not what batman is to me or what bane should look like or what catwoman should be i just take it as anything as it comes along um and i think this one is really ambitious um no not not that the first two films weren't ambitious but this one it really feels like a a, a kind of a novel in a way the the story structure is it goes really up and down up and down up and down and and you can't fault Nolan for being ambitious to try to tell you a complete story to try and wrap up everything, uh, which includes tying in the first film, um, even though, yeah, to complete the trilogy as a whole, which is, you know, really ambitious again. Um, but the result is really too many shortcuts in terms of filmmaking, in terms of writing. Um, I had a feeling that Nolan's first cut might have been, you know, five hours long. Um, because you can see lots of really obvious shortcuts. Uh, the film really moves really quickly to me. Uh, I thought it was really tight. It's really tightly edited. Um, it didn't really feel as long as it was. Um, but at many points, you feel like... And I was telling Ross about this. Do you remember in The Dark Knight when Batman saves Rachel Dawes uh, falling down the building when the Joker you know, crashes his party? And they land on the car and then cuts to like five days later? And it's really weird because you don't know where the Joker went. I mean, you wonder if Joker just kind of like, oh, whoops, and then they just backed off. Or what happened? That's There's that many, that's kind of shortcuts here in this movie. Uh, and it, you, you're wondering what happens in between. Uh, it, it was way too many of those moments for me. Um, but still, it, again, it's a really nice tie into the first film. And it's a complete trilogy. It really feels like a complete story being told. Um, and it's great to look at. Uh, it's really entertaining, of course. Um 
I like Bane, I think, more than you did, Paul. Uh, I thought he was fairly intimidating, uh, menacing, and I thought Tom Hardy, um, considering he had to wear a mask the entire time, I, I think he did really well. Uh, the voice is kind of cool. You know, I you know I, I haven't figured out how to in, how to how to imitate him yet. But show me your body. Yes. That was kind of cool. I mean, you could you actually. I was I was wondering what the voice would be like if Nolan didn't mix it after you know the fanboys outcry from the 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 the, the IMAX prologue. Um, how how much less how much less silly it might sound it if if Nolan didn't have to remix the voice. Um, I I thought you know Tom Hardy acted a lot with his eyes and and during certain moments it really worked. Um, but of course the problem is he's following the freaking Joker. You know he's following Heath Ledger's footsteps, so it's impossible for him to outdo that. Uh, and and he kind of had the short end of the uh, he kind of had the uh, bad end of the deal there. Um, I thought it was a good balance of Bruce Wayne and Batman. Like like Ross said, it was really a Bruce Wayne story more than Batman. Batman is just kind of a way uh, a way to complete the Bruce Wayne story, but not really the not really, it's not about Batman, but more about Bruce Wayne. And he's using Batman as a symbol anyway. So. Um, it felt like, yes, it, it needed more Bruce Wayne. In fact, I thought Dark Knight didn't have enough Bruce Wayne. I thought Dark Knight had too much, um, too much emphasis on the other characters. And I felt that Bruce Wayne kind of also got neglected in the Dark Knight. So it was good to see him really take back that, that, that central, central the story, center of the story there. Um, supporting cast, I thought was good. Uh, Anne Hathaway, really great, um, as Catwoman. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I, I, you guys haven't talked about Joseph Gordon-Levitt. What I do you guys think about Paul it? Did, oh, Paul yeah. did. oh, Paul did? Okay. I, I really liked him. Uh, of course, to talk about more it would be a spoiler, but I he was a really great supporting character. And, of course, Gary Oldman is good, even though um, I think we we mentioned earlier that that he was better in a dark... His character was better in a dark night. He doesn't do a lot in this film by in comparison. It's true. Yeah, it's true. So, uh, But even though he's good here, Gary Oldman is good here, yes, I think the dark night, again, was kind of his... his really his movie, uh, or more of his... He had more moments there. Um, and it, yes, it's a really flawed film. It's not Nolan's best film. It is Nolan's most ambitious. But uh, by the time the last five minutes came along, you know, the ending came along, I've forgotten all the flaws because that's how good the ending was. I thought the whole montage uh, really wrapped things up and um, it really gave me a really satisfying finale to not just this movie, but all three movies. Mm-hmm. Um one thing you said is uh, I will I will agree with you that it felt kind of clumsy at times the way they they zipped through things. Yes, uh, and, and I think we talked about it would, it would make a good miniseries, and I thought it would make a good two parter. In fact, you know exactly where to split two films. I, we will talk about it in the spoiler section, but yes, there is an exact point where you can literally just split the films in two, yeah. and it would be strong. Um, but anyway, yes, uh, I, I I still think the ending was great. You know, and, you, you you mentioned the um, you know, the possibility of how much he actually cut it you know it makes me wonder if there's a potential for a you know what they did with the lord of the rings where they ended up with this really super long uh you know dvd blu-ray edition with all this extra footage thrown in that really filled in a lot of gaps you know maybe that's something that that we'll get for the for these films Actually, that's why that's why I was pissed off because we know I know that Christopher Nolan doesn't do these kind. Of, he doesn't do commentaries. He doesn't do director's cuts. Hmm. So that's because I think he has final cut anyway in his deal. So that's the problem. We would never. That's what kind of pissed me off is that he was so clumsy in storytelling and knowing that we'll never see a director's cut that would improve on that. Hmm. You know, unlike Ridley Scott, who, who released like a director's cut of every movie he does apparently. So he never really wanted to watch the theatrical version of his movies anymore. 
James Cameron. Yeah, James, James Cameron as well. James Cameron yeah. is king of director's cut. Like the yes. only film of his that doesn't oh. have a director's cut is Piranha 2. I'm sorry, those guys, those guys don't hold a candle to our good friend George Lucas. <laughs> George Lucas doesn't have a director's cut. He's got like director's remorse. He's got like, he's got like drafts. That's all he does. He, he, has, he makes drafts of movies. He doesn't read complete movies. He just taunts people. That's all he does. I'm releasing another edition. Um, Suck it. Dude, the thing, if you want to talk about Alfred, then again, spoiler. It would have to go in the spoiler section. He doesn't have that much screen time. That's it. That is the problem. He doesn't have that much screen time. And of course, the problem itself is the story itself of why he didn't have that much screen time. Wait, um, there's, a, there's a whole thing in the movie of you know Alfred really uh, you know getting mad Christian Bale or at Bruce Wayne saying you know you know you're ruining your life blah 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 I care about you don't do this don't become Batman again and again and all this stuff you know what I really think he should have been mad at Lucius Fox. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Lucius, you drug dealer, quit <laughs> making these toys. These toys. What are you doing? But actually, it it's you know Harry knows talked about how you know Alfred isn't Alfred the Alfred he knows in the film, and in a way he's right, but not because it's not it's not the way Alfred should have been in the comics. But in the first movie, the fact that Alfred never leaves Bruce Wayne or is is always supported is always behind Bruce Wayne, it that's kind of the central point of the first film. That was one of the more central um, Alfred character you know, motivations in the first film. And but that one is completely gone here. He says in the first film was he will never give up on Bruce Wayne. Not that he'll yes. never give up on Batman. It's a difference. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. And and also, frankly, uh, in the comics, Alfred has left numerous times for the same reason. What the hell, Bruce Wayne? You're acting like an idiot. I'm leaving to piss you off because I'm pissed off. That happens <laughs> all the time in the comics. Ah, so Harry knows is wrong. <laughs> like Harry Knowles is ever, like, you know, come on, of course he's wrong. He can be wrong all the time. Um, and frankly, if your version of Alfred is the idiotic one from the uh, Burton movies, I feel really sorry for you. Because, <laughs> you know, Frank, I, I know everyone thinks Michael Goh's Alfred was really great, but to me, he was really annoying. Because he was just so patronizing. And, 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 number, and, and the main thing is this. He let Vicky Vale in the goddamn Batcave. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> Alfred would never do that. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's wrap this before we go into spoiler section and wrap wrap this up. Um, we saw the film in IMAX. Um, and have we have we all seen the second time already? Yes. Yes. It, are our second time in regular regular cinemas? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so IMAX or or or, or regular cinemas? So um, IMAX for me for sure. IMAX still has the benefit, bigger. Yeah, I mean, bigger is always better, and it's not three D, so that's a plus. Um. Well, plus the fact that Nolan shot, you know, half the movie in in IMAX, with the IMAX camera. Yeah. So yes, that really. Yeah, takes I mean, place. if you've if you've got a uh, got access to a good IMAX theater, it's worth seeing there. Except for the loss of two K and all that. I mean, the loss of four K and all that. So you're not really getting the uh, the great image you want. All right, let's uh, let me throw this up because we're gonna move into some spoiler territory. All right, so you have been warned. We are going to spoil some major plot elements of the film. If you have not seen the film at this point and you're still listening, you do so at your own risk. Um, I, I really could have not... I did not need the gay sex between 
Batman and Bane. <laughs> I'm not sure what version you watched. Did you watch that porn Batman instead? Actually, I knew you was... watched it in the Dynasty. I knew you watched it in the Dynasty. <laughs> yeah, that part was cut. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting, although this still kind of is in that area of... Um, of of not really going far enough for for my taste was that there were some nice references to the comics of course um a lot of what they told us on various blogs and websites about who certain actors were and were not turned out to be all bunk it was all misleading right really i don't know i didn't read any of that stuff what did they say well they said they said joseph gordon levitt wasn't going to be the character that he ended up turning out to be at the end well, this spoiler session, we get this for it out there. Yeah, Come on. yeah, Robin, yeah, Robin. He, you know, he's Ra- he, he has, really I, Robin. He wasn't really Robin. Well, he's not, but he's named Robin, and the idea is he's gonna. No Robin has ever been named Robin. He's gonna take up. He's gonna take up the mantle and become, I don't know, Azrael or Batman Beyond or, or the next Batman or something. Um, it's just a nod. It's a nod to the idea of Robin, that yeah. they. You know, but they did. They denied it. They basically came out and said he's not Robin. Right. Well, Chris, wasn't there a thing on IMDb saying Christian Bale said that he would never take part in the trilogy if Batman if Robin shows up yeah. anywhere? So well, the thing is, they really didn't put Robin in these movies. See, the <laughs> thing is, no, they didn't, because like you know, what is Robin? He's a stupid kid who hung, hangs around with Batman, who's almost as tall as him or, or needs to shave and wears tights. <laughs> Later, they put pants on him, but he's still a kid who's wearing bright red and orange and yellow. My like, my God, it's. Uh, they didn't put that in the film. Also, he didn't have to babysit because that's also 60% of Batman and Robin. Batman babysitting. <laughs> Christian yeah. Bale never had to babysit. So, essentially, they didn't put Robin in the films. They, they put the idea that Batman is an inspiration and that Batman's mantle can be carried on by someone else. And the guy who's going to carry it is named Robin legally. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's okay, I guess. You know, it, there's a lot of lying. What's her name? Um... I know uh, Marion uh, uh, Cotillard. Cotillard. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm not French. Sorry. Um, but she she did say that she wasn't playing Talia, and she, she was. Yeah. Okay. But what's she supposed to say? Oh, I mean, come on. It's it, it's our fault for 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 trying to spoil it. Yeah. You you still there, Ross? Single film that's coming out. Yeah. So, sorry, we lost you. What were you saying? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Well, I was saying it's our fault. You know, the whole uh, film film geekery online, it, it's, it's our fault for wanting to ruin these films for ourselves. Yeah. By asking these questions. I mean, sure, maybe you wonder, but why do you have to ask? Yeah. Why do you have to ask, is she really playing Talia? And why do you have to ask her to her face? Are you playing Talia? I mean, people could have at- wondered all this time, but why do they have to ask her to her face? What's she going to say then? Yeah... You know, it's a spoiler, but yeah, I can't lie. <laughs> I mean, well, the, the truth is, she wasn't really Talia. She was Mal from Inception, and that was all her dream, right? Yes, actually, Kristen Nolan went into it. Yeah, went into <laughs> Bruce Leonardo DiCaprio's and 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 made him think that he was Batman, yeah. played by Christian Bale. Yeah, that's you know, you because you did have you know basically three of the characters from Inception here, um, so you could make that argument. Yes, and one of them was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> You know, oh, okay, so I mean, yeah. I, I don't think we need to hold Christian Bale and, and Christopher Nolan to like promises they made seven years ago. 
because you know they say a lot of stuff and you know saying that they didn't want robin is fine but you know maybe even christian bale had a problem when he first heard about it and then christian nolan says he's not really robin and he explains it and he goes yeah, yeah okay i'm sure that conversation actually happened or yeah. didn't know is anyone actually say, out there actually saying bill is a hypocrite or a liar i mean like are these really the lies that you care about in this world if so i really feel sorry for you uh yeah i mean the there were some other nice nods too. Um, of course, then Bruce Wayne is later thrown into the pit. Um, this is a little bit of a reference to uh, the Lazarus Pit, although it's not a real Lazarus Pit, which I was kind of hoping for. Um, but it does bear some implications when you talk about rising and sort of recreation or reinvention or coming back from you know the dead, kind of an, a concept uh, that's there. And that ties in with, of course, the Razagul and, and Talia uh, storylines as well. Um, still, this, I mean, the, the whole recovery thing, I think, was kind of lame. Because at the, at the beginning of this movie, I mean, you start out with a bro broken Bruce Wayne, basically. He patches himself up with tech, but then that tech is taken away, and he's, he's in this place where there's almost no clean water it looks like no 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 real kind of medicine and he's able to fix a broken back he's able to you know totally ignore the fact that he's got no ligaments in his knees at least that's what the doctor tells us right and you know make this climb this ascension uh you know like he's an olympic athlete yeah, I, I have no excuse for that so <laughs> you right it doesn't make much sense that he needed a brace after eight years of limping around, let's say, because that's what they say, he was limping around for eight years. You know, finally yeah. he gets, like, the, the, the tech brace that he has to wear. And then suddenly, when he's in the pit, he can, uh, you know, do the Rocky 3 uh, or the Rocky 4. Yeah. And, uh, a couple push-ups and he's good to go. Yeah, he doesn't need yeah. the tech anymore. So, yeah, they, they, they really dropped the ball there in terms of uh, the plot hole. They kind of... I don't know, maybe they hope you forgot or they assume something else. Or maybe there's a mystical element that, you know, we don't know about. Who knows? At that point, yeah. It, one of the things about this film versus Dark Knight is Dark Knight had a lot of plot holes, but you could kind of forgive a lot of Dark Knight's plot holes. Yeah. That's how I felt anyone watching this film. There are, are, are some that I cannot get past entirely. And also at the same time, a lot of things felt clumsier. The dialogue felt clumsier this time out than the second one. Christopher Nolan is really is really on the nose a lot of times about his dialogue, so it's 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 to be expected. But this time there were a lot of clunkers, in my opinion. Yeah, you know that they 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 could have improved on, and so it just it just maybe they tried to stuff too much in. Maybe it was too ambitious, like Kevin said. Uh, there's a lot of things that the film touched on but didn't really cover or fix. Uh, since we're in spoiler territory, by the way. I do want to mention one of the things in, in that that occurred to me that made me feel that this film isn't as good as The Dark Knight. It's that all the politics they use in this film are kind of really moot. Yeah. They're yeah. rendered moot not by us out here talking about them. They're rendered moot by the film itself. Because all the 1%, the Occupy whatever imagery about like the the poor rising up to take back uh, stuff from the rich, it's it's all rendered empty. Because for one thing, you barely see it. And all the poor are cast. You don't really see the poor at all. You just see a bunch of convicts. Yeah. yeah. So you don't see what the real poor people are doing. You just see what convicts are doing. And then all of that's empty anyway because it was all just some smokescreen by a diabolical madman who wants to blow everyone up no matter what. Yeah. So 
yeah, it kind of loses its teeth, in my opinion. It, you know, so you really wanted to see more there, and they could have, like, sold it better. Maybe they could have found a way to hide the fact that the bomb was going to blow up anyway. So but but actually, it, that, that, if you want to look at it in another angle, there's a reason that the movie might not get into China, because the bane could easily be the communists. You know, going yes. in there and saying, wipe out all the, you know, capitalism and blah, blah. And then he turns out he's a dictator himself. So many people might, might uh, some people already, um, some netizens in China are already saying it's anti-revolutionary. And also, well, and also all that stuff that occurs, like, you know, their kangaroo courts with, uh, with um, the scarecrow. Yes. Telling people what's going on. That's a cultural revolution right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Kind of is. Do you guys want to see the cultural revolution on screen? Here you go. So actually, I think it would be a great middle figure to China if this movie did does get into China. Uh, of course, I think that maybe that's part of the joke is that they open it directly across, you know, directly opposite Spider-Man, so they wouldn't stand a chance. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's some interesting parallels. I think for me too, the one of the one of the bigger problems again, I have tying back to the idea of the realism of this film, uh, especially when uh, you know we're a lot, we have a lot of people doing comparisons between this and what marvel has managed to do with the avengers um you know the whole bomb setup it doesn't work in a real dc universe because i i mentioned this after the film superman would come in and it would be game over you know um so uh, that the fact that this doesn't take place in a dc universe again is is you know it, it i i'm longing for the day when we can see a real sort of dc uh, team up, I guess, for 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 a film with regard to heroes, and I know that they're rumoring rumoring that that is coming. You know that the they're already talking about a Batman reboot now, even before this film is released, and that that is supposed to be building into Superman team ups and everything else. And we've got the Superman trailers now leaking out from uh, from Comic Con. I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to see. Yeah, I, I saw uh, it. See, see some of that stuff. Um. um but I think you know again as as a trilogy as a as a sort of realistic delve into you know still still somewhat science fictiony but a, a somewhat realistic delve into this character the films all three films work very well together as a whole um, but I'm sort of longing for uh, a comic book Batman I don't know well apparently you're gonna get it although I don't know if it's gonna work really well with the Superman that's coming out maybe it will maybe it won't we won't know until we see it. There's a chance even that someone's going to tell uh, Zack Snyder, you got to make it something that we can cross over. Yeah, which 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 may be weird because now they're, you know, because I, I guess Christopher Nolan is producing that, the the coming Superman, the Man of Steel. But but I heard he isn't doing that much with it. Yeah, he just provided help him the story. Yeah. Um, so so he's, not, he's not really there or doing anything. Yeah, I mean, do you do you think that they'll be able to pull pull that off? Because I mean. You know, the Avengers is kind of unique uh, in, in the construction of the different characters, but, you know, one of the things they've always talked about with regard to a, a Justice League is you've got characters like Batman and Superman. Superman is the end-all, be-all, right? Um, whereas, in comparison, Batman is just a detective, um, a very smart detective with some gadgets. And then you throw in Aquaman... <laughs> And, you know, Aquaman is typically the butt of many jokes in Although, geek circles today. He's actually quite powerful. Well, yes, he is. He is. That's true. Not the talking to fish thing. It's the other stuff. Yeah. Um, but I mean, do you think that do you, do you think that they will be able to do 
what what Marvel has done with uh, the independent films and the Avengers? Do you think they will be able to do a similar thing on the DC side? No, no, they just haven't had that kind of foresight that that Marvel had. That's the problem, and and it's not, and for them to wanted to set up something as good as Marvel to do a Justice movie, they would have to start now and plan what's five six years ahead and they're not gonna have that kind of force like they're not they don't have that kind well, of i think vision. that's 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 what they're trying to do now that's the the wheels are in motion i guess the the, the question the follow-up question becomes is it too little too late are we already over the superhero hump i mean no, we, we, I, I think if they get it right then you're gonna hit the apex if yeah. they get it right you're gonna hit the apex but the thing is i think there's a bigger chance that they just they belly flop with justice league than uh they they do it because, uh, you know, they, they need the time. But now they're probably going to be looking for some cup of noodles uh, uh, solution mm-hmm. to uh, a superhero team up. You know, they, they're not going to be able to do it right like Marvel did. Marvel had yeah tons of force, but they were an independent studio and they, they had like one producer, smartly, who was able to figure it out. And, you know, who's going to be the guy who, who runs point on this thing? Are they going to install somebody or, you know, I mean, who knows? Yeah. So, so yeah, I think the chances of the of Justice League flopping right out of the gate are very high, just mm. because I mean not not in terms of box office, they'll make a bunch unless it, but yeah, I yeah the, what, my... I was talking with somebody and they said uh, they think the hardest part is getting Wonder Woman off the ground because that one always seems to fall apart in whatever incarnation, whether it's on TV or a movie or whatever they try and do with it. That's the hardest sell. I don't know if I agree with that, but uh, history seems to prove that. I hate to say it, but this may be a very unpopular opinion, and it's that I, I, I agree to point. But one of the reasons I think it, it won't work to people is because Wonder Woman is one of the big three and is technically more powerful than Batman, and and people can't watch that. Mm. Audiences, they for some reason, you know, to them they can watch Black Widow because she's number six out of six. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, they can't watch. Black Widow, if she's number two out of out of seven, hmm. it's because audiences can accept it. It's very possible this is true. Uh, um, you know, they 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 uh, it's 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 very possible. Yeah, they, they can't take that level of uh, of you know they can't take it unless it's campy, unless it's really campy. Hmm. Um, Which I don't think is what people want to see. No. Uh, like I said, maybe I'm, I, what I say is very unpopular because then I'm hinting that audiences are not sophisticated or they're not mature enough to take it. But it's it's quite maybe quite possible because you know Wonder Woman, besides being you know number two in terms of power and whatever, is also has to be like the, the pinnacle of everything. Super tall, super beautiful, super stacked. Where do you find this actress? You know, it is not easy. Hmm. You know, I mean, like you know, it's, it's a lot of it's just it's it, it, you don't. Know, Marvel and DC Comics were made in a different in different times. DC Comics are all archetypes, pretty much. Most of their the 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 the, the, uh, the, the character, the, the top seven that they had to put in Justice League are archetypes. They're not real characters. Hmm. You have to struggle to make them characters. Like you know, what can you say about Green Lantern? Makes what makes bad him Green Lantern? <laughs> huh? He makes bad movies. Okay, <laughs> what can you say about Flash? Aquaman is the is, is the joke. Yeah. You know, Flash runs real fast. Green Lantern, Green Ring. I mean, but what can you say about them as characters? You know, Iron Man, Iron Armor, but you have all these things you can say about him as a character. You've, you've, you've been built into that. You can see it. 
And, you know, because those things are there. But these other heroes, they don't have really great characters. Uh, I, I, I fully believe this. You know, you can write good stories about The Flash, about Green Lantern, about whatever. But you need a lot. You, you can't really sell people on the concept right away because the concept is not built around a character. Batman is built around a great character that you can easily just buy into. It's easy. Parents get killed. Oh, no. I'm angry. Batman. Okay? Green Lantern. Um, one day while flying my plane... Some guy gave me a ring. <laughs> <laughs> what does the ring have to do with his character? Nothing. You know? Okay, yes. You know, it, it basically is, yes. He cannot, uh, he can overcome great fear. And they need someone who's fearless. Not easy to deal with. It's not, it's not like, oh, got it. Hmm. You know? Not like Batman. Batman, parents get killed. Ah, I'm mad. Easy. Yeah. You don't have that. In, in Marvel Heroes, you have a, a lot more. That's all built in there. Because Marvel Heroes were in some ways written as a reaction to all that stuff. Hmm. So you, you have the, the corniest heroes alive to, to make a film out of. It, it's, it's not easy. And, you know, unfortunately, even nowadays in comics, they botch it all the time because their version of making them more deep is to make them all dark and brooding and angry and bloodthirsty. And it's just disgusting to read. Which Marvel didn't didn't go. I mean, I mean the, the movies, they didn't go that route, even after it's, Batman. But the funny thing is, like, DC heroes have always been, like, the, the this big sort of uh, paragon. They're, like, the, the Olympus. And then, like, and then like Marvel heroes are always, like, dirty. Or they live in a, in a rougher time. You know, a more compromised time. Well, I mean, DC, DC has always been, sort of like you said, it's an archetype. You don't have New York City, you've got Metropolis, right? The yeah. darker side of New York is Gotham. But Marvel is firmly planted in... A reality. New New York or California or, or, or wherever. Um, so, so yeah, how do you adapt that? It's 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 gonna be it's, it's it's a tough climb, and they can't even figure it out in comics for God's sakes. If you read DC comics nowadays, it's a mess. So yeah, I, I don't know. They can't even figure it out in comics. How are you gonna figure it out in, in movies? Yeah, like they have to just reinvent everything. Maybe. Um, Marvel's in, in some ways has an easier job of it. But um, so then are we in the end? Are we satisfied as this? Uh, are we satisfied with this as a as a conclusion to this to this trilogy? Are we satisfied? Paul, are you satisfied? I, well, you know, I think after the screening, we saw Ross asked an an interesting question: if some producer comes by and offers a Joseph Gordon Levitt, you know, a big enough paycheck, would he do uh, another film as the character? Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that, to be honest. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, what they do with it, where he goes. Uh, I've read a couple interesting articles. There's a there's a big article over on Slash Film talking about, like, the top 15 problems with the film. Um, I think one of the things that they mentioned about it was, with his character, you know, what comes next? They don't, you know, they, they, they sort of leave him as, a, his character gets a cliffhanger ending. And I think it's an interesting proposal. You know, what does come next? Do they take it into Batman Beyond territory where maybe Bruce Wayne is retired, but he serves as sort of like an advisor or a mentor? Um, or does Alfred come back and help him? Because, I mean, you know, he, he's there in the cave, but what's he going to do with all that stuff? He's got no fortune to support him. You know, maybe there's some tech there, but when it breaks, you know, what does he do? How does he... He's got very little training. You know, it's not like he went through the training that Bruce Wayne went through. So there, you know, there's a big question mark over, over that final scene that we've seen with him, and I think that there's potential for him, you know, to go places and do stuff with it. 
But uh, will we ever see that? I don't know. I don't think so. Do we so. want to see that? Do we want to see that? That's a question. Uh, you can you can answer that first before I, I go nuts on that. Per- personally, if because remember Alfred makes a huge point when we talk, when he talks about the, the Florence thing, he makes a huge point about never wanted Bruce Wayne to return to Gotham. And in the end, if if in the end got, uh, Bruce Wayne does never return to Gotham, then I think in a way it's a um, satisfying ending to the character is that he leaves behind all that pain and tragedy and moves on with his life with Batman as uh, living on as a symbol. And I think that's a fine ending. Mm-hmm. Me, I personally hope they never, ever, ever make a sequel to this film. <laughs> no, absolutely. I hope they never make a sequel to, to this film. That Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I mean, sure, I'm sure someone could offer him $40, $20 million to do it, but I sincerely hope he says no. And, you know, it's it's it just would ruin this movie. It would ruin the trilogy to do it. Yeah. I, 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 Idea that I'd like to see it, but I don't think it would be done well. And because of that, I... I, I hope it doesn't happen. It's not even it's not built to do it, to be done well. I mean the the problem with comic books in some ways is they are not finite universes. They they're infinite. They must go on forever. This is why they have to create ways for Peter Parker and and Clark Kent to get demade mm-hmm. in the comics, which is what has happened over these years. It's because you know they, they write themselves in this corner, and the comic books become ridiculous because you cannot have them end. So at some point, it's like they keep going and going, and you know it's impossible. And then the way DC Comics Batman works now is because of the new lineup and the new timeline. Batman is only in an activity for five years, according to DC Comics at this moment. They say that because they want Bruce Wayne to still be young and not be like a 40-year-old. Yeah. But he's also had five Robins. <laughs> How do you have five Robins in five years? What the hell? It's like... Doing something wrong. <laughs> He goes through Robins faster than he goes through iPhones. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, the fact that they can create a finite story and you know end on a on a note of inspiration is, is great. And they should leave it there. And they should realize that is where the story needs to end. It doesn't need to go farther. It's better in our imagination. Because if you let our imagination show us what we imagined, we'll find out it's, it, it was never as good as what we imagined because our imaginations were never that good, and and theirs aren't either. Hmm. Yeah, it's not going to work, you know. It, it's it's better just to leave it where it is. I don't want to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt come back in a, as Nightwing or Batman 2 and then have Alfred go, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> You're going to hurt yourself too. And Gordon's like, oh, I thought I got rid of you. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to see these stories. Mm-hmm. I, I think, it's you know, that's why we can have an ending. That's why it has some resonance and that's why it can be meaningful. Not a perfect film, but, it, you know, it, it, it's, it can wrap it up. And uh, we feel we actually watched One Man's Journey. You know, I don't want to see his midlife crisis. It's like, oh, you know, I've been, I've been stuck in like the Caribbean and uh, and the Mediterranean with Selena Kyle, and, and life is great. And but you know, I want to go beat up thugs again. Yeah. Or he just slams Selena Kyle's mother against the wall. And caught a cop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if if Bruce and Bruce Bruce and Selena do end up together and they have a kid, you know, that's Huntress. So. Ah, no, no, just don't even get into that. <laughs> and when is Jim Gordon's red-haired daughter going to come back and be Batgirl? Yeah, yes, that's exactly. Yeah, we, we don't need this. We really don't need this. I mean, you know, it's it's great. People complain that, you know, Harvey Dent died at the end of two because, like, he wasn't two-faced for longer than, like, an evening. 
<laughs> well, this is the history of Two Face. Well, guess what? You have all the comics. You can read them there. Yeah. This is like a this is a finite way to tell the Batman universe. And actually, Christopher Nolan may be onto something a little here. You know, the fact that he did this way. Ask yourself this about the Avengers. The first film, they fought off an alien invasion, right? Yeah. The second film, they're going to go cosmic and save the universe, right? Yeah. So what happens in the third film? <laughs> Are they going to, like, meet God? They tried that in Star Trek, <laughs> and it didn't work. It's, it's, it's like, you know, you blow up the balloon too far, and you have nowhere left to go. Yeah. So, and, you know, they talk about how, well, we have to replace uh, Robert Downey Jr. one day because, you know, you don't want, like, 60-year-old Iron Man running around, but don't worry, we'll get another actor. It's like, how long will it be until these movie stories get as episodic and as meaningless as the comic book stories? Yeah. I think I think a lot quicker than the comics. Yes, and, you know, Spider-Man is already going to run into that problem soon. He already did, uh, uh, frankly. You know, they always, movies have the problem is that they can't be that episodic. Only Bond can really do it. But that is because Bond isn't really much of a character, in, in all truth, you know? They've done it more recently. Well, they had they had an opportunity to do it here with Spider-Man, but they chose not to. Yes, um, maybe. But in the end, it's like how many things can happen to Spider-Man? Yeah. How many ways can they develop his character? Like I said, in Bond movies, he's not really a character. <laughs> they've done it more recently because it seems to be they've made the character-driven Bond occur recently, but... In, in the past, well, but, he's always just kind of been the same. Yeah, but that that's my same argument that I have kind of here with, with Batman, with, with the Daniel Craig Bonds, is that they're more like Bourne movies than Bond movies. They've taken the fun out. They've taken a lot of the gadgetry out. It's become ultra real. And I know that that works on a lot of levels for a lot of people, but I kind of miss the schlock, and I kind of miss the Roger Moore jokes and the the Sean Connery cool items and gadgets and, and, and cars and stuff. The one thing, the one thing if they do that, that will make it work is yes, it becomes, it makes episodic, uh, filmmaking viable. Yeah. But the problem is modern audiences. They really feel like, you know, they need more and they ask for more. They ask for character arcs, they ask for this and that. And you know, they, it's, 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 it's gonna, they're, it's gonna become played out. Yeah. I, I don't see how Avengers two and three is going to work. Yeah, how they can keep blowing a balloon. It's just, it's just, it's like this is one reason why Iron Man 2 wasn't that good. Yeah. Because yeah. what could you really do to the character uh, unless he just becomes a bond? You know, instead he still has to search for his father and, and find the missing element. And uh, well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, he uh, found yeah. Mickey Mouse. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the Avengers, they can they, 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 they have a conflict for them all to deal with and, you know, getting them to work together as a team. In the next film, what's going to break them apart again so they have to learn to work together again? <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's yeah, it's going to come right out. And so Christopher Nolan making this finite universe and making it begin, middle, ending, uh, if they could do that with other heroes, Spider-Man, Superman, you could do it forever. Mm-hmm. So you just tell a different story each time. Not saying you have to do the origin story each time. You can always shortcut that and tell a different story. But you know, it depends on on, on, on yeah, it depends on what they really want to do. But ultimately, I think the Avengers model may be just like a one-time only deal. Yeah. You may not be able to match it the same way because you know once people start seeing this too much, you get tired of it too. Yeah, that's true. So you know, of course, I could be completely wrong, and you know. They could be geniuses and do it forever, but well, some people have pointed out, you know, that uh, each reboot is a, a new film for a new generation, kind of. Yeah, which... the problem is the same generation for Spider-Man. Yeah, so that, uh, that yeah, is true. 
I've had two, uh, two, two, gen- two Spider-Man, one generation. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to do it. I think we've spoiled about as much as we can spoil and gone on our tangent a little bit too long. Um, so yeah, uh, I think we all agree that it's an excellent film that deserves to be seen, especially in the context of, uh, the other two films. If you haven't watched the other two recently, watch them before you go and see this one and your experience will be all the more pleasurable. And as Mr. Ma said, do see it in IMAX if you have the opportunity. All right. Uh, let me play this. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, I think that's going to do it, folks. If you'd like to be a part of the show, you can head over to the website at Comcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Uh, of course, you can always stop by iTunes and leave us some comments or a review over there. We'd love to hear from you and get some of your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash concast to follow updates for the show and the site. Uh, twitter.com slash the golden rock. Uh, if you want to follow along with Mr. Ma and some of his daily musings uh, on film, on life, the universe, and everything else. Uh, twitter.com slash foxlore if you want to follow along with me, although I don't tweet all that often. Um, and Ross, what, what's your what's your Twitter handle that people can follow you at? It's uh, at MoHKFilm. Uh, I don't tweet as much as uh, Kevin does either. So, you know, follow Kevin. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that's <laughs> at LoveHKFilm uh, over on Twitter as well. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us directly, you can email us at the show. That is eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can send us a question, a comment, a short review. Uh, sh- send us something on a short audio file, and we'll play it here on the show. Uh, if you are iTunes-averse, you can always catch us on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phone. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support of our little show. Uh, additional thanks to Rob, Go- Rob Gowers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme. Of course, Ross Chen of lovehkfilm.com for being with us here today as our guest and also for keeping us out and going to movie nights, uh, one of which we have later this week with the film Wudang. Uh, also for Kevin for sticking with me through 117, soon to be 118 shows. And of course, all of you, the listeners, uh, we like that you're out there listening to us. Uh, big thanks to the chat room, everybody who stopped by, who was in the chat room this evening. To, um, you know, because Even you guys are so... wanted me out. What's that? Even though someone wanted me escorted out. Yeah, because you haven't seen <laughs> Batman Returns. So. Don't take it personally. Yeah, so uh, you, you got voted out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we do appreciate all of you out there. However you access the show, uh, you make doing this far more enjoyable uh, for us. Next show, episode 118. Uh, we've got the new East Screen film starting this week. That is the martial arts epic Wu Dang. Um, and that is not a Category 3 film, I swear. Uh, we, do we have any, uh, West screen films coming up? I know there's the, there's the Wallace and Gromit, uh, studio film about pirates. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, if it's we... like, there's, there's a new Wallace and Gromit movie. I, I didn't know about no, it. It's their studio though. Um, okay. but it's about pirates. It lo- it lo- I'm going to go see it. That looks fun. 
There's a new Step Up movie. Oh, yeah. What is it? Like Step Up Revolutions or something? Yeah. Yeah. It takes place uh, in Miami. I may have to watch that. Step Up to the Mic. <laughs> <laughs> Why haven't they made that film? Step Up to the Mic. It's, you know, just... I, I think yeah. Eminem brought out that name already. <laughs> Damn it. They, they do poetry, right? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so at, at least there'll be the Wu-Dang film. We'll talk about that next week. All of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we will see you next week. See you next week, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> uh.